Okay, uh, we're in Acts chapter 17 this morning. Um, we are following Paul and Silas on Paul's second missionary journey. Chapter 16 ended with Paul and Silas uh, tra traveling out of Philippi after they started a church there. Um, and this morning, we just continue to follow them as they travel. Um, what we're going to see this morning is um, a couple of the different, really three different cities they went to. And we're going to talk about how they went about their mission uh, and what their message was. And I love this week. I love this passage. Uh, a lot for us to see here and learn. Here's sort of how I want to go through this with us this morning. I want us to look at the places and how the places that Paul and Silas traveled were, were different um, and the people. Look at the people uh, just a little bit and see how the people that they engaged with in the mission is different. And, and we'll make some comparisons and some contrast. But really what I want us to think about is what we can gather from this for ourselves. As we've been talking through the book of Acts, like this mission of God that we see unfolding in the book of Acts is our mission. Right? This is what God has called the church to, and I don't mean the institution of the church, I mean us, God's people. We are the church. And so a lot that we can, can learn um, from Paul and Silas uh, this morning. I, I want us to look at what it would mean for us. Before we get there, let's pray. Um, and as I do every week, I ask if you would pray with me. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be especially good to us this morning to teach us. Um, but, man, we, we need, uh, I think, um, for the Spirit to renew the joy of our salvation. And we could see the, um, the beauty and the glory of Jesus in saving us uh, and that we would just be filled and overflowing with that. Uh, and that, that, that we would be a people because of this who, who turn our city upside down. So um, will you pray those things? Pray for the people around you. Pray for yourself. Will you all pray with me this morning? Good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can come together and pray. Thank you that you hear the prayers of each person who is here this morning. You hear our needs. You know our hearts. Uh, Father, we pray for our time together, especially. We pray that your spirit would be, um, would be good to us, good to, uh, to teach us, good to help us to see the, the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel, that we would be filled with joy because of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I pray that we would be a people so moved by the miracle of our salvation, that we, um, we can't stay silent about it. Uh, Father, I'm praying that you would do a work here that only you can do uh, through your spirit, that you would, 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 would fill this place and fill us, that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be, the church that you've called us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So Acts chapter 17, we're going to start this morning by looking at two cities, Thessalonica and Berea. And um, verses 1 through 15 uh, tell us about Paul and Silas's stops there. And we can put these two cities together and talk about them together because what we see in those first 15 verses um, is how similar the people are in those two cities. So uh, let's read. It's a lot of verses, um, but let's read them together. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. 
where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way uh, to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Okay, so let's stop there. As I've mentioned several times along the way as we've been going through the book of Acts, Paul always had a strategy for the mission, right? There was always a strategy that he followed, and and we see it here. When Paul came to a, a town or a city, he would go to where the people gathered, and that was often the Jewish synagogue. That's what we see here in Thessalonica and and Berea. Paul comes into town and he goes immediately to the Jewish synagogues. Now, who would Paul find in these uh, Jewish synagogues? He would find the religious Jews and the religious God-fearing Greeks. The synagogue was the place where daily they would gather to hear the scriptures read, to sing songs. They would gather for prayer. And so the the Jews and the, the, the believers in God who were Greek would gather there. This was a place for the people to worship who believed in the one true God. So what does Paul do when Paul gets there, um, verse two says that Paul went in as was uh, Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, "This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ." So, so for three Sabbaths, for three weeks. Paul goes to the synagogue and he is proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. 
Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. What Paul is doing is sharing the gospel with these God-fearing Greeks and these Jews. He's sharing the good news. He's proclaiming to them that Jesus is the anointed one, the one that Scripture talks about. The anointed one, the Messiah who was promised. The one who was promised who would fix all of the brokenness and establish God's kingdom um, by the prophets. He's not only reasoning with them um, as to to who Jesus is, but verse 3 says that he is proving to them why it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. So in just that brief, now Paul shared a lot, and we've seen as Paul traveled uh, and went to the synagogues that normally he shared God's big story, um, and particularly the Jewish story, with the Jewish people. And he would always come to Jesus as the promised Messiah, right? And, and in these few verses, we don't see all of that, but we do see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus being proclaimed. But here's what I want us to um, to see this morning especially. A couple of things I want to point out. One is this, Paul reasoned with these Jews and God-fearing Greeks from the Scripture. He reasoned with them from the Scripture. These were people who already believed in the God of the Jews. They believed in the God of the Jews. They trusted in the sacred scriptures, which was the Old Testament. Um, They trusted in that. They knew the law and the prophets. They knew all of the promises of the coming Messiah. So Paul took what they already knew and what they already believed, and from that he pointed them to Jesus. Paul met them where they were. They were Jewish people. They were God-fearers. Paul met them where they were, and he spoke to them based on where they were. He spoke to them according to what they knew and what they already valued. So, um, here's another thing. First, Paul reasoned with them from the Scripture. The other is that Paul proved why Jesus died. The Jesus of suffering and, and death was not the Messiah that they expected. The Jews did not expect a suffering Messiah. They were looking for a king, King Jesus, who, who, who would show up and defeat the Romans and, and establish Israel as the world power, reestablish them as God's kingdom. They expected that king to show up and to dominate. This is not what we see in Scripture. This is what we see in New Testament Scripture, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns. But that's not what Paul was pointing to when he went back to the Old Testament Scripture. What Paul went back to, he went back to to point out that before the king could conquer, he had to come and suffer and die. He had to take sin upon himself. The righteous had to die for the unrighteous. We needed, humanity needed someone who would bear the wrath of God, the wrath of God that we all deserve because of our sin. So what Paul was doing was going back to the Old Testament scripture and showing the people in Thessalonica and Berea multiple passages in the Old Testament, like like Isaiah 53, like Psalm 22, that talk about Jesus having to suffer and die. We, we call that substitutionary atonement. 
The wages of sin is death. And the reality is, Paul, Paul would write that, right, to the Romans. The wages of sin is death. He's telling these people that as he travels, these Jews and God-fearers. The debt had to be paid. The only way for God to remain just and holy is for that debt to be paid. And so what Paul is doing is saying this is why Jesus had to die. This is why Jesus was raised from the dead. The debt had to be paid. And the truth is today the same debt has to be paid by every sinner or by Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel, right? The debt is still owed, and either, either we will accept that Jesus has paid it for us by trusting in him, or we will have to pay the debt ourselves. Paul is pointing them to the good news that Jesus has come, lived the life that we can't live, died the death that we... He's, he's doing that from the Old Testament scriptures. Died the death that we deserve, that he was raised on the third day, defeating death and sin and Satan for us. And Paul would call call those those God-fearing Greeks and Jews to believe the good news of the gospel, repent and believe and be saved. Now, why are those two things that I just shared important? Here's why it's important. Paul presented the gospel to religious people. These were very religious people. And Paul presented the gospel to them in their own religious terms. He spoke their language. He shared the gospel in their story. Paul knew them. Paul knew the religious people. He knew the God-fearing Greeks and the Jews. He knew their beliefs. He knew their misbeliefs. And what I mean by that is he knew the things that they believed wrongly, the things they believed wrongly about the coming Messiah. He knew their disbeliefs, the things that they didn't believe at all. And he presented to them the gospel in a way that in their religious culture and context, he presented a gospel in a way that, that addressed both their misbelief and their disbelief. And he did that from a source that they valued and accepted the scriptures. Now, Paul will use a completely different approach in sharing the gospel when he goes to Athens. But as we'll, we will see, it's for all of the same reasons, so stick with me. Now, I, I, want to, I want to pause here, and I want you to think about our culture and context here in middle Georgia, here in the Bible Belt South, right? Maybe it's Mercer, maybe it's the people that you work with or, or where you live, your neighbors, your family, uh, the people at the ballpark that your kids play sports with. We have a lot of people around us who would fit into this first group, people who are very religious, right? Or, or at least they are religious people. People in the deep south have church background for the most part. People in the deep south know something about the Bible, even if they don't believe the Bible, right? They, they, they know the stories of Jesus. Many of the people around us could tell us the gospel in, in, in some version, right? That Jesus died for our sins, and, and, and if we believe in him, then we have forgiveness of our sins. We get to go to heaven. People know about him. Maybe they know a lot about him. Maybe they know a lot of stories. Maybe they know all about his life, death, and resurrection. Maybe, maybe it's a lot. Maybe for a lot of people, it's just enough. They know just enough of, of the religion in the South, just enough of the Bible, just enough of, of, of the gospel that they are comfortable in their religion. 
They're comfortable with what, with what they know, while at the same time they know very little of the true gospel. That's the people around us. They are driven more by morality than the true gospel. Being good people, right? Like, we would probably be surprised if we had an in-depth conversation with people who claim to be believers who really grasp the true gospel. Uh, for a lot of people around us, it's Jesus plus. Like, like, yes, we need Jesus, absolutely, but, but before Jesus will love us, we've got to get ourselves together. We have to think right, we have to talk right, we have to live right, we have to look right, we have to do all of the right things. That's Jesus plus. Like the only way for us to be saved is for us to do good. We need Jesus plus our good works. That is not the gospel. That's not good news at all. The gospel isn't about your work or mine. The gospel is about the work of Jesus the gospel is about all that he has accomplished on our behalf, not what we can do for ourselves when we add our goodness to him. Our goodness is still a pile of filthy rags, just like Isaiah said. There are plenty of people around us today in our religious south who know just enough of Jesus to say, yes, we need Jesus and we need to do good. We need to be good people. And that's what they work on. There are also a lot of people around us who would say, yes, we need Jesus. Um, and, and, and when we believe in Jesus, then we are in. But, but then we have to do a lot of good works and we have to work hard to keep God happy or we might lose being in. Like n now we can be out. If we do bad enough, we lose the gift that has been given to us in Jesus because we haven't been good enough, because God is angry with us, because God doesn't love us anymore. What, 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 whatever that sin or the number of sins is, there is a point where suddenly we've fallen out with Jesus. God no longer loves us. We're no longer his. Listen, that is why it is not unusual in our culture and context for people to be baptized five times. If that's you, I want you to hear me. Stop. <laughs> What I mean by that is, is, is every time you mess up, you haven't fallen out of God's grace. And when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption. Period. If you believe, you are His even when you mess up. I, I tell you that, that the, the, this idea of Jesus plus our works, it, it never leads us to a growing love for him. It never leads to a growing love. It, it only leads to a growing dread, a, a growing fear, a growing dislike, sometimes even a bitterness and a hatred toward a God who would make us work so hard and who it seems for, for, for us, it seems that it's never enough for him no matter what we do. It's hard to love someone who is never pleased with you. And, and that's what the gospel of Jesus plus is. It is a God who is never satisfied with you. But the truth, the truth of the good news is that in Christ, your father is satisfied with you. Your father loves you and he welcomes you. And, and when he sees you, 
He sees you through, through the blood of Jesus as perfect and pure and holy and clean. His child, his son, his daughter, forever and ever and ever. Listen, there are people around us in our religious deep south who need to hear that Jesus has taken away the wrath of God. He is not angry with you. He is not angry with them. He is not watching and waiting for you to mess up so that he can strike you with a lightning bolt, cause some harm in your life. Your father loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. People need to be reminded. People need to know this gospel, the true gospel. That's what they need to know, that they are loved in Christ. They need, to, they need to hear that that loving kindness of God is new every morning. Again and again and again and again and again, that loving kindness from God, it never ends. They need to be reminded of Romans 8, 28 and following that tells us that nothing, 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 nothing can ever separate the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And listen, we could go on about, about false gospels in the South. It's not just Jesus plus something that throws people off and that people believe wrongly. There are those in, in, in the deep South as well who believe in a prosperity gospel. There are those who, 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 who live a, 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 as, as morally upright people who are filled with hate for others and they believe the hatred that they have for others is a hatred in the name of Jesus. There are those around us who seem like good people and they want to form and believe that we can form a Christian nation through politics. None of that is the good news of Jesus. And so for us, as missionaries like, like Paul and Silas, as missionaries like them called to this mission of God, we need to be prepared to share the gospel with the religious people around us. People who know about Christianity but don't really know the Christ of Christianity. People who know a little bit of the gospel but don't know the depths of the gospel's riches. So let's compare what we see there in Thessalonica and Berea with, with Paul in Athens. Athens was like the, the, the mega city and, and mecca of, of the Greek and Roman uh, empires and, and culture. The people there were incredibly diverse. People came from all over the world. So it was a melting pot of cultures and nations. And all of the people who came, they came bringing with them their, their own religions, their own, uh, their own philosophies, their own thoughts. And, and there, all of those things were accepted. And it, it was just a melting pot of all of those religions, philosophies, and ideas. The streets, the streets there were filled with altars and temples and people selling uh, sacrifices to be presented in the temples and, and idols to be worshipped. It was everywhere. They were incredibly religious, but not in the same sense that the Jews and God-fearing Greeks were. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. 
Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, Why, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Now, we'll pause right there. Paul was troubled in his spirit as he saw how idolatrous that Athens was. And, and, and the word there is, is provoked. He was, he was provoked in his spirit. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 uses the same word but translates it as tormented, just so that we get an idea of what was actually being said here. Paul was tormented. Paul was deeply troubled. He was saddened and hurt as he walked through Athens by what he saw. He was troubled and, and, and burdened because he loved the people there and he saw their condition as such an idolatrous people. So, so as in other places, when Paul got there, he went to the synagogue and he reasoned with the God-fearers and the Jews there. But here we read that he also went to the marketplace. He went to the marketplace and he reasoned with the people who were there. The marketplace was like a, a town square and, and that's where everybody went daily. People went to the market. Uh, the marketplace. Um, they shopped, they bought food, uh, they bought goods. It was also the place where um, people learned. It, this was a very social hub. It was a place of learning, it was a place of debate, philosophy, theology, religion, all of those things that were, were coming into Athens. Here in, in the marketplace, they were all discussed and debated. So Paul goes there. This is where the people are. Here's his strategy. I'm going to where people are, not only in the synagogue where I can talk to the Jews and the God-fearers, but I'm going to the marketplace where everybody else is gathering as well. And Paul is reasoning. Paul is reasoning with the people in the marketplace. And I want to point that out, that Paul is reasoning with those people in the marketplace because Paul wasn't standing on the corner with a sign that read John 3.16. Paul, Paul wasn't chanting some Christian statement like, like, like turn or, or burn. He, he wasn't protesting the idols and the, and the temples there. He was talking to people. He was reasoning with people. Anyone that would talk with him, anyone that would hear him out, he reasoned with them. He conversed, right? He was having conversation with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. There was this, this respectful conversation that was taking place with Paul and the people who were there. So this led then for Paul to be invited to go to Mars Hill and share there on Mars Hill with this special council of people. They asked him to come and share more about his religion because this Jesus person was new to them. And they would hear what he had to say. They would ask him questions. They may even debate him. But they would hear his ideas and thoughts. And they would weigh in on them as well. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along, 
and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you worship. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image uh, formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all By raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some of the men joined him and believed, among whom uh, also were Dionysus the Arapagite and a woman named uh, Damaris and others with them. So, so now what we see here is instead of the religious Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, Paul is speaking to these philosophers. Now, when we talk about these, these philosophers, the, 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 these were not just philosophers. They, were, they, they would be pantheists who worshipped many gods. Uh, there would be in their midst, midst atheists, agnostics, mystics, pagans, a mix of all of those people and a people who worshipped all kinds of gods. This was an incredibly different group of people that Paul was speaking to. He said, I see in your city many objects of worship and many temples from, for, for worship. I even found an altar that was set up for an unknown God. Let me tell you about this unknown God. That, that's essentially what, what Paul was doing there. I, I saw this temple and it was set up for an unknown God. I know that God. Let me tell you about that God. And from there, he goes into really the grand narrative of the Bible and the big story of God for all of life, for their life, for our life. Paul does that everywhere he goes. Now, we've been talking about it when he goes to the Jewish synagogues. When he goes to the Jewish synagogues, Paul would often share the big story. He would start in Genesis with creation, but then he would move to God choosing for himself a people, the Jewish people. And he would share with them God's big story, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And talk with them about the coming Redeemer and all of the promises of the Old Testament. And then he would point to Jesus and say, here he is, the one who fulfills all of those promises. Now this was a completely different audience. These people didn't know the prophets that Paul knew. They didn't know the Bible that Paul talked about. 
So Paul, with this different audience, he does the same thing. He tells them the big story of God, but he does it in an incredibly different way. Rather than walking them through the Bible, he talks to them in their own context. He talks to them about the the gods that they worship and, and, and his God. He knew their philosophical views. He understood their man-centered view of the world. And he met them right where they were with the big story of God. He tells them, yes, there is a God, this one. Let me tell you about him. He is the God. He is the one and only true God. The God who transcends all other gods. The God who transcends you. Who transcends your thoughts and your knowledge and your ability. Who is greater and more beautiful than your your art. And even beyond anything that you could imagine. God who is not like the idols that you fashion from gold and silver and stone. God who cannot be contained in the temples that you have built with your own hands. God who cannot and does not need you to serve him because he is the creator and sustainer of all things. And that God, this God, your unknown God, he is pursuing you. And he is near. And one day, One day he will judge this God. And he will judge you, Paul says, through the man. The man that is evidence of who he is, he raised from the dead. When Paul got to that part, people started going crazy. They were arguing over the resurrection. Paul gets interrupted, so he doesn't get to to finish proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't get to tell them all about Jesus but because they stopped him. But we do see, we do see him sharing the gospel with these philosophers, at least in part, with, with these atheists, with these, these people who don't believe in Paul's God. He's doing it in their context, in their culture, sharing with them God's story in their own life and, 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 and in the eyes of all of their gods and religion. He's calling them to repent and believe in the one true God and the Savior who he raised from the dead. And this is very, very different from Berea and Thessalonica. And yet there are things about it that are exactly the same. So so Paul doesn't point to Scripture. Why does he not point to Scripture? We've already said it. They don't believe in the Scripture. They know the Old Testament Scripture. The Bible meant nothing to them. It, It was just another book, just another story, just some other God, just more mythology and superstition. That's why Paul reasoned with them with what they did believe. Paul reasoned with them from their own religion and their own philosophy. He contextualized the gospel. The gospel didn't change. We still find the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the promised one, but it's contextualized for them to meet their needs right where they are, to use their language, their culture to confront their particular misbelief and disbelief. Y'all, that's what missionaries do. That's what Paul was. That's what you are. So, So let's talk about our world like we did with Thessalonica and Berea and the religious people. Let's talk about us and the people from Athens. Like we we live more and more in in this post-Christian country. 
Our country is moving further and away, further away from Christianity. It's taken a little bit longer, but we are starting to see it more and more and more and more and faster and faster here in the deep south as well. Short story, we assume the people around us are good because they're nice. We assume even that they're Christian because they're nice. They're nice, decent, good people. Surely they're Christian. I was talking, um, I was talking with a, a, a young lady about, about Christianity. She wanted to know more about it. And I, I mentioned, I think it was the story of, of Noah. Uh, just in the course of conversation, I mentioned the story of Noah. And she said, Noah, who is Noah? What story are you talking about? See, I assumed she was, a, she, was, she was a good young lady. I knew she didn't know Jesus, but I assumed more and more our culture is moving away from that, and we can't assume it anymore. We, we live in a post-Christian area where, where more and more people view the Bible the same way that the people in Athens did. It's just another old document. It, it, it's filled with opinions and stories. Listen to me. Even professing Christians pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. That is a part of our growing post-Christian culture. This part is sacred, but that part is not. This we can believe, but that was just Paul. With a growing number of people who fit that category, we cannot reason directly from Scripture. Scripture for them is archaic and barbaric. It is silly nonsense to them. Yet here is the truth. God's big story and the gospel speaks directly to their story and their beliefs. 100%. It speaks to their, their beliefs and to their philosophy. Now, we don't have time this morning to talk more about the results of, of, of this contextualization from from Paul and, and the gospel, but I, I want to point out a few things here. In Thessalonica and Berea, it says that some of the religious Jews believed, right, as a result of him going into the synagogue and reasoning with them from the scripture, um, some of the religious Jews believed, many of the devout Gentiles believed, some of them women who were also leaders in the communities, then riots started, right? Riots started, again, and Paul and Silas again had to flee. They went to Athens, and in Athens we read in verse 34 that some, some men believed. Others, others asked them to come back and, and, and share more. Some immediately made fun of them and mocked them, right? The gospel is not always received with joy. It's just the truth. I mean, we see it over and over again. The gospel is not always well received. Sometimes we will be mocked. I'm telling you that, not as a, a Debbie Downer, I am telling you that because you should just expect it. Like, like sometimes people are not, they're going to say, you believe that old book? I do believe this old book. It's an amazing old book. Sometimes we're going to be mocked. Sometimes people will be mean to us. Sometimes people will dislike us. Other times people may hate us because of our faith. But listen to me. You listening? Some will believe. Some will believe. 
Some will hear the good news of the gospel and and, and their lives and their families will be absolutely transformed and the kingdom of God will grow. Some will believe and forevermore will be forevermore changed. And we get to take part in that. This is the mission of God and the miracle of salvation. So, so let me close. I'll try to move through these really quickly with you. But let me close with four missional challenges that I think we can take from these verses. Challenges for, for us. We're missionaries. We've talked about this a lot in the book of Acts. The, the Great Commission is our commission, not the church's institutionally. Yours as a believer, mine as a believer. He, we are called to make disciples, right? So here are four missional challenges that it will help us to be better missionaries. The first one is this. Know the people around you. Know the people around you. Pa- Paul and Silas knew what to share with people because they knew the people they were sharing with. They knew, they, they knew the people that they were missionaries to. Now, for most of us, what that means is not that we're going to a faraway place. For most of us, some maybe, for most of us, it means knowing our neighbor and our co-worker, our classmate, the, the families and the kids that our children play sports with. Now, I am convicted of this in a lot of ways knowing the people around us what what do they do the people that you see all the time do you know what their do you know what their job is do you know what they do for a living do you know anything about about their family do do you pay attention to what they spend their time and their money doing because a lot of times where people invest all of their time and their money will point directly to what their god is What are the things that are important to them? Because that's the things that they worship. Know them and you will know how to speak into their lives. We often don't know how to speak into the lives of the people around us because we don't know them. Know the people around you. Here's the second one. Love the people around you. Love the people around you. I know you don't. You're not alone. I know you don't because if you did, you would tell them about Jesus. How much do we not love people when we refuse to tell them about Jesus because we're afraid of what they might think of us? We love us. We're not particularly concerned with them. Paul's soul was tormented by the lostness that he saw in Athens. Jesus was moved in the Gospels to a gut-wrenching compassion when he looked out over Israel for the condition of the people, sheep without a shepherd. Most of us have no idea what that is like. To love our city so much, to love our neighbors so much, to love our co-workers so much, that knowing that they are walking apart from Jesus torments our soul. Let's pray. 
that God would give us that kind of love for the people around us. You, you can pray that for me. Maybe you've got it. You're like, Keith, I already love people like that. Then pray it for me. Pray it for the other people here who, who don't know what that feels like to be tormented in our soul for the city that we live in. Pray that for New City Church, that we would, we would grow to love the people around us more and more and more, to love them like we are loved by him. God, break our heart for the people around us. So know the people around you Love the people around you. Here's the third one. Know the gospel. Know the gospel. Knowing and loving people is essential, but what they need is the gospel. And, and as missionaries, we need to know the breadth and the depth and the incredible good news of Jesus. Now, I, I'm not talking about surface level, right? I, I, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about knowing the gospel deeply like Paul did. So when he had a conversation in Athens, he knew how God's big story looked in the lives of the people of Athens. I, I, I'm talking about us knowing that story so well that when we are talking with the people around us, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, when, when, when we talk to them about the problems in their life, we understand and com can communicate to them, with them, why things are the way that they are. We know that things are not as they should be. We know that fourth graders should not commit suicide. And we can, we can talk to the people around us in view of the truth. The truth that this is all a part of the broken world that we live in. But that Jesus has come and one day he's coming again to fix even that brokenness. I think we struggle to talk with others about the gospel and about this incredible story, or, or to connect it to the everyday lives of ourselves or the people around us, because we're satisfied with what we know of the gospel. And the truth is, we don't really know it very well. We need to be able to speak the truth of the gospel into the stuff of everyday life. Know the gospel. Here's the fourth one, love the gospel. Really what I mean is love Jesus. I, I think that as we truly grow in knowing the gospel, we will grow in loving the gospel. We will grow in loving him. The gospel is indescribably beautiful when we see it as it really is. When we see Jesus as he really is. Paul said to the Corinthians that we are being transformed, right? Our transformation into the image of Jesus is happening now. And it happens as we behold the beauty and the glory of Jesus. As we behold him. The reason we aren't transformed is because we aren't looking at Jesus. And where do we see Jesus? How do we behold this, this beauty and this glory? Is it not in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? This is where we see the beauty and the glory of Christ. And so when we know the gospel more fully, when we understand it more deeply, not only are we falling in love with the beautiful news of the gospel, 
We are falling in love with our beautiful Savior. And we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the other. And when we, when we see him in all of his beauty, we can't help but to reflect, uh, to see the reflection of ourselves as not beautiful. As broken and fallen and needy. And that just helps us love him more. What kind of a king would come to rescue someone like me? But let me tell you what else it does. It helps you love your neighbor. Because your, your, your neighbor is just like you, and you are just like your neighbor, and you're both desperate and needy, and Jesus is the answer. Loving the gospel is loving Jesus. How incredible that, that he would come and suffer and die and bear my sins. A wretch like me. These, these were the men and women who turned the world upside down. That's what it says. These were the men and women who turned the world upside down. Listen, how? How did they do that? Why don't we do it? They, they knew the people around them. They loved the people around them. They knew the gospel. They loved the gospel. That's it. That's it. This I long to see. This I long to see in myself. I long to see in us, New City Church. The truth is, this is who we were meant to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. For your love and kindness. God, that you were so patient with us. Father, as difficult as, as this is to, to say today and, 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 and probably for a lot of people to hear today, it, it, it comes as, as grace from you. You are not angry at us for, for not knowing our neighbor and loving our neighbor as we should. You're not, you're not angry and, and done with us because we have, have stopped in what we know of the gospel. Because our love for Jesus hasn't grown. You, you, you are, you're not upset with us. You're not, you're not, you're not put off by us. Graciously, today, you were just reminding us of these things. So I pray, I pray that that's how we would see it as a gracious reminder. I, I pray that it would be difficult but sweet. Sweet to know that this is what you are calling us to. You created us for this. Father, I pray that your spirit would be good to remind us of that. I pray that you would, you would remind us that, that, that this, this is how the world was turned upside down. I pray, Father, that, that, that in this same way our city would be turned upside down. I pray that we would be a part of it. I pray that we would see it. I pray that churches all over middle Georgia know their neighbor and love their neighbor know the gospel and love the gospel 
that our city would not be a city that we are embarrassed by or angry with. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would prick our hearts, torment our soul. Because the sheep are without a shepherd. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.